Hey guys, welcome to Christ Community Church. We're so glad you guys joined us today. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome, and we're so glad you guys have joined us for worship. We're going to sing a song, and you guys join along with us. We've gathered in your name, we're calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. Cause you're the reason we're here, you're the reason we're singing. in this place your glory on our face looking to the sky descending like a cloud you're standing with us now lord unveil our eyes because you're the reason we're here you're the reason we're singing heaven we want to see you open up the floodgates a mighty river flowing from your heart filling every part of our praise we're singing open up the heavens we want to see your glory show us show us your power show us show us your glory Lord show us show us your glory show us show us your power show us Show us your glory, Lord. Open up the heavens. We want to see you. Open up the floodgates. A mighty river flowing from your heart. Filling every part of our praise. We're singing. Open up the heavens. We want to see
Good morning, C3 family. I'll be reading from Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. For Thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. For Thou, Heart high above all the earth, thou art exalted far above all gods. We So, good morning. 
Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, C3. <laughs> Today, Larry is going to be leading us in a discussion about God's excitement yeah. toward blessing us, loving us. And I think the refrain is going to be, he can't wait. That's exactly right. He just can't wait to bless us and to give us a, a full life. Yes. And yes. so to that point, to open, I have invited a friend of mine. Uh, some of you may know her from the SNL sketch, Surprise Party Sue. Uh, surprise Party Sue has just found out that there is going to be a surprise party for a friend of hers, and she cannot wait. Yeah. She is so excited about this party that she can't <clears throat> stand it, and she cannot wait to get started. So I'm going to give it over to Surprise Party Sue to show us an example of someone so excited that they just can't wait. Oh, my God! Sue, what's wrong? Sue likes surprise parties. I really love surprise parties. I'm so freaking excited. I want to ask, does anyone want to help? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. She's going to be so happy. Yes. Uh, Sue? I'm sorry. I... I didn't know this was going to be happening today. I am, I am ecstatic to be a part of this. Roger, it's really nice that you're doing this for her. I'd do anything for her. She's my peach. What do you think? I, should I get balloons? Yes! <laughs> I know of a party store. I could pick some up on the she, way over tomorrow. She is going to walk in here and think that nobody's here. I don't know what she's going to do when she sees the balloons. And we're hidden! And she's surprised! That's how a surprise party works. Right? <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> she is ecstatic to be a part. And the balloons. And when he says, who wants to help? She wants to help. Yes. Um, yes. So that's a farce and ridiculous and Kristen Wiig and all of that. But... It's just a beautiful picture, a funny picture, of what Larry will be talking about today. Yes. And that is the excitement, the, the just-can't-wait feeling yes. that, to God get, that God has for yes. us. Shirley was uh, sort of opening up today with this idea from that Saturday Night Live skit uh, that uh, <laughs> God can't wait. He can't wait. He has things in store for us that he's so excited to share with us and to bless us with. Uh, he's so excited about his relationship with us and all that that involves and all that that means and all that that's going to ultimately someday work itself out to, to, to be. Um, I was just thinking about uh, when my daughter was growing up, really for the first 18 years of her life, while she was living at home, um, every Christmas I celebrated the 12 days of Christmas with her. And we had so much fun with that. And truthfully, uh, I was the one that for several months, I just, I, I, the, the planning, the shopping, the purchasing uh, that, that I invested in uh, making sure that those 12 days were wonderful and unforgettable uh, for my daughter. She loved it, but truthfully, I loved it even when I was so excited. 
I, I spent so much time picking each specific mm. gift uh, and had a certain order that, you know, they would go in each day for 12 days. And I just could not wait for that first uh, uh, day of the 12 days of Christmas to begin. She loved it, but I watched. Mm-hmm. You you loved it more. I loved it even more. You That's did. exactly right. You really did. And truthfully, I believe that the Bible presents to us a God who is very much like that. A God who cannot wait to bless us and to pour out his goodness upon us. And the neat thing in my mind is that I had several months and a very limited budget Hmm. to create something wonderful for my daughter for those 12 days. In contrast, God has literally uh, a universe to draw from to bless us with. And he has an eternity to plan all of those blessings out for us. And I I truly believe that he cannot wait to pour out upon us all of the good things that he has uh, been dreaming of giving us and sharing with us and blessing us with for a long, long time. Perhaps that's why the Mm. universe is so big. That's exactly right. I think so. So full. Um, You all know that I read through the Bible every year. And right now, if you're reading through the Bible with me, we're in the book of Acts. And a Oh, a week or so ago, I was reading through Acts chapter 7. And uh, that's that chapter where Stephen, one of the first deacons in the first church in Jerusalem, um, he had been preaching and telling people about Jesus. And um, he was arrested by the Jewish uh, leaders and was placed on trial. And they accused him of a bunch of stuff. And then uh, after all the uh, accusations uh, ended, they said, sir, do you have anything to say for yourself? And remarkably, Stephen, uh, rather than defending himself, he uh, gave a very brief history of God's journey with God's people. He gave us some, if you've ever wondered, you know, how can I really get a very brief summary of what the Old Testament is about? Uh, Well, you can read Acts chapter 7 because in that chapter, Stephen summarizes the entire Old Testament. And as I was reading that this this year, uh, it just hit me how relentless God's pursuit and God's love is for his people. And if you really carefully read Acts 7, Stephen's underlying point that he makes to uh, the Jewish leadership of Israel of his day, and I believe it's the point that God wants us to take away from chapter 7 in the book of Acts as well, and that is that God never stops pursuing his people. He never stops pursuing the people he loves, no matter what, no matter what. And that's one of the reasons that um, a a preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was the the most famous, most uh, uh, popular, the most powerful uh, preacher of the 1800s. He was a British pastor and a British preacher. And one of the names that uh, Dr. Spurgeon uh, loved to use in describing God, he would call God the hound of heaven. Hmm. 
And what he meant by that was that God relentlessly was chasing his people. Like a dog, a hunting dog would chase a fox or a deer and he would never give up. He would never stop. He kept on and kept on till he caught his prey. In his mind, in Dr. Spurgeon's mind, he saw God that way, that God was relentlessly, consistently, continually, passionately pursuing his people. And we, we see that quality, that attribute, in God's relationship with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sinned. They're, they're hiding behind the bushes, uh, trying to figure out how to make some thread and sew some big leaves together. Um, God's the one pursuing Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve aren't pursuing God. Same with Noah. Noah wasn't pursuing God. God was pursuing Noah. Abraham wasn't pursuing God in the land of Ur. God was pursuing Abraham. And we could go on and on with examples. Lot, Moses, Samson, David, Gomer. And the list is endless of people that experienced God's grace, God's love, God's blessings. But it wasn't because they were looking for God. It wasn't because they were pursuing God. It wasn't because they couldn't wait to discover a relationship with God. It's that God was chasing them. God was pursuing them. God was the one that couldn't wait to engage in their lives. He comes to where we are. He comes to where we are. Thank you very much. That's exactly right. Let me share a few verses that just validate this. In Jeremiah chapter 7, God says, While you were doing all these things, the implication is wicked things, your own things, declares the Lord. I spoke to you again and again, but you didn't listen. I called to you repeatedly, but you wouldn't answer. In Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses and he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger, abounding in continual love and faithfulness. And I love that word abounding because the root word is bounding, bounding. You're like, like, a, like a, a big, huge St. Bernard hmm. or golden retriever or lab. That's, they, he sees the, his master in the distance and he can't, he, he can't sit still. He's bounding toward his master to shower uh, his master with his love. That's, what, that's how God describes himself. He's abounding in continual love and faithfulness toward his children. In Deuteronomy 30, God says, the Lord delights in prospering you. He, that word delight there means he's eager, he's joyful, he's thrilled, he's excited to pour out his blessings upon us. The, the idea there is that the Bible is presenting God as one that has a parental delight in pursuing his children with his love and blessings. And then probably the most well-known, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible in Psalm 23, David says, Surely God's goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed God's prophets and messengers, how I have longed to gather your children together, 
as a hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing. And then my favorite example of this idea we find in Luke 15. It's a, in your Bible, in my Bible, if there's a little title there, it'll say the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15 is not the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15 is a story of a father, a dad who cannot wait on his two knuckle-headed sons to come to him. He has to go to them. He sees one in the distance, all in rags and starving to death and ashamed and memorizing this little speech about how sorry he is of the dad. The dad can't wait. The dad has to run out to where the son is and literally interrupt the son's memorized speech uh, trying to talk the dad and let him back in the house. And the, the, the dad won't even let him finish the speech. He can't wait to restore. And the same with the other son that's out in the fields working who's mad and grumpy and all arrogant and holier than thou. The dad doesn't wait on that son to come in. He goes out to him. Luke 15 describes a father who can't wait for his boys to see the light, show remorse, be repentant, show contrition. He's too eager to forgive, to restore, to heal, to bless. It's not a father that's standoffish or begrudging or hesitant. He can't wait to pursue He's willing to make the first move out of his love and his delight for those two boys. The God of the Bible is a God who is excited and cannot wait to share his love and his goodness with us. Now, what does that mean for me and for you? Well, I have a lot of ideas that we could talk about, a lot of roads we could go down, but there's two huge lessons here that I want us to think about just uh, as we conclude this lesson today. And one of those lessons has to do with my relationship with God himself. Do you ever wonder how God feels about you? Do you ever wonder what God's thinking when he thinks about you? Um, I really battle with this. I struggle with how God must feel about me and think about me. Is he frustrated with me? Is he disappointed? Is he unhappy? Is he ashamed? Is he angry? How does God really down deep feel about I know he has to love me because he's God. But how does he feel about me? How does he see me? We know in Jeremiah 31, the Bible says that God loves us with an everlasting love. And in Zephaniah 3, the Bible says that God rejoices over us with singing. When God thinks about us, he literally burst into song. Hmm. And I think that part of how, how can he do that with all of our warts, all of our flaws, all of our brokenness, all of our mistakes, all of our hard-headed, stubborn rebellion? How can God feel such delight and joy for us when he knows all the things that are wrong in our lives? And I don't have a complete answer about that, but I think that part of it has to do with God's ability, and it's talked about in Isaiah 46 where it says that God sees the end from the beginning. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that God, when he sees us, he sees the end of our lives. He sees how this journey ends. He sees all that God, that he himself has done 
to make us into the people that he created us to be. Um, He sees us as we will be someday, Mm. not as we are. That's why in Philippians 1, Paul says that he who began a good work in us will complete that work. God sees us and he sees the completed work that he has accomplished in us. Hebrews chapter 8, Paul says, I will forgive, or God says through Paul, I will forgive their evil and remember their sins no more. When God sees us, he doesn't see our sin and our failure and our mistakes and our rebellion. He's not denying that those things exist and have occurred. But when he sees us, he doesn't see the, the, the immediate mess He can step back as God and see the the big picture of who we're going to be. You're not bound by the timing of things. That's exactly right, Shirley. Thank you. His judgment is not bound by that. That's why when God, when Jesus is talking about our relationship with his father in John 16, Jesus says that God thinks about us, he sees us, he feels about us, and he relates to us as if, We were God's son, Jesus Christ himself. He sees us through the finished work of Christ. The Bible says that we are hidden in Christ. And that means that when Mm. God sees us, he sees Christ surrounding us and all of Christ's perfection and holiness and wonderfulness. He sees me through the lens of his son himself. God is pursuing us. God is delighting in us. God is rejoicing over us, not because of our love for him, but because of his love for us and the work that Jesus has done in our lives by dying on the cross and by coming to live and abide within us. The other lesson that I think is significant as we look at this issue of God not waiting, God pursuing us, God God being so excited and committed to our good that he can't wait, he initiates. And that has to do with our relationship with other people. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, do good to people. Notice he doesn't say people like you. People that are similar in age, education, skin color, economic level, family situations. He doesn't, he just says, do good to people. Hmm. Why? Because you have freely received, therefore you must freely give. God wants us to not wait to do people good. He wants us to initiate. He wants us to reach out, to heal, to restore the broken relationships in our lives and in our world. In Psalm 34, David says, you want a long and good life? Then avoid speaking evil words. Do good to other people. Desire peace and pursue it. Notice he's saying there, don't wait on other people to be the first to make the move, to make the first move. You be the one that pursues it. You be the one that initiates. And then he says the same thing. David says the same thing in Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Don't run away. Doggedly remain faithful. Why would he he add the idea of doggedly 
remain faithful. Because sometimes to do good, it's hard. It's, it's distasteful. Doggedly do good to people. Doggedly and faithfully do good to other people, even when it's hard. Paul says in Romans 12, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. And then he says in Hebrews 12, strive for peace with all people. I love that. I think that's such a great idea. Paul says, fight to have peace with all people. Isn't that lovely? Paul says, don't settle for just things being the way they are. Are there conflicts? Are there divisions? Are there problems in in relationships around you? Fight to make those relationships whole and good and peaceful. Don't just accept the status quo. Seek and strive to make relationships in your world better. It's active. It's work. It's it's active active work. Thank you. Thank you. We're never more like God than when we show love first. We're never more like God than when we pursue and initiate and reach out to people who are different than we are, that are hurt by us or that we have been hurt by them. We're never more like God than when we reach out and initiate and pursue and show love first. My personality uh, is of the bent that when I feel like somebody's mad at me, when I've been hurt or wronged, I want my, the fear and the pride in my life lead me to want to hide, to avoid, to wait, to run. Can you imagine a, a marriage, a family, a city, a world where people don't act like that? Where people don't wait, they don't hide, they commit themselves to being the one that goes first, that initiates, that reaches out, that pursues. When relationships aren't good, they they can't stand it. They cannot wait. They can't leave it alone. They pursue like that hound of heaven that Spurgeon talked about. They will not let it go until they make the broken relationships in their world good again. Does that sound hard? Does it sound scary? Does it sound uncomfortable? Oh, it is. It is. But I have to ask myself the question, and I ask you as well. What did Jesus ever ask us to do that was comfortable, that was easy, that was uh, unscary? What what does Jesus ever ask us to do that was easy? Everything that Jesus asks of us is hard and scary and uncomfortable. But it's what Jesus has called us to do if we're going to reflect who he is and what he's up to in our world. Shirley, you had uh, something you were telling me the other day about Dostoevsky. I'd love for you to talk about it. Well, so in his, um, his, in my opinion, his greatest work, The Brothers Karamazov, there's this wonderful passage where Dostoevsky is talking about two different kinds of love. He talks about love in action and then love in dreams. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read just a a quick passage. He says, love in action, like actively pursuing love, is a harsh and dreadful thing when compared 
with love in dreams. Love in dreams is greedy for immediate action, rapidly performed and in sight of all. It, it demands an audience. Mm. People will give their lives if only the ordeal doesn't last too long, mm. but is soon over with all looking on and applauding as if it were on the stage. Mm. But active love is labor and fortitude. So he, he very clearly differentiates between the hard, laborious work of actively pursuing another person and love, and then what it looks like on a stage, mm -hmm. where Shakespeare says we strut and fret our hour, mm -hmm. and then we walk off. Yeah. And um, so later the woman in the passage mm -hmm. says, oh, it, it, a priest is telling her this, and the woman in the passage says, oh, well, I love mankind. I just don't like my neighbor. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, <laughs> everyone in the world is great, but you get on my last nerve. Yeah, yeah. Right? Thank you, yeah. thank you. Active I love. I love everybody in the world, but my wife when she's difficult. I love everybody in the world. But my husband when he's <laughs> difficult. Never. I love everybody in the world except my children when they're being selfish and honoring and irritable. I love everybody in the world but my boss when I feel like he's wronging me. I love everybody in the world, but the people on television and on the news that aren't acting like I want them to. Who I disagree with. Who I disagree with. But God has not called us to love people when it's easy and safe and comfortable. God has called us to love people when it's risky, when it's uncomfortable, and when it's scary. Who has the humility who has the courage? Who has the faith to live up to such a calling? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 3 that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask and think through the power of Jesus Christ that works within us. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 9, I love this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good works. I'm not saying that uh, this challenge today, this reminder today, this call of God today to be the one that pursues, the one that initiates, the one that reaches out, the one that moves first, is easy or risk-free or comfortable. But I am saying that it's what God has called us to do. And of all the times in our world, for you and I to be willing to reach out, to be the one that listens and loves and speaks words of respect and grace and peace, the ones that are willing to pursue peace, and strive for peace by how we treat people rather than waiting on them to make the first move. Re or to change before we can love them. Yes, thank you. Research consistently shows that the people who experience the deepest and the richest relationships are the people who do not wait and they're people that do not give up. The people that experience the deepest and the richest and the most satisfying relationships are the people that 
that are, they, they don't give up and they, uh, and they uh, don't wait. I guess that's why God himself experiences the deepest and the richest relationships of all. Because he never waits and he never gives up. And he longs for you and for me to experience those deep and rich relationships as well. But that's going to demand a willingness on our part, an effort on our part, not to wait and not to give up. Thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you'll think about what we've talked about. We're going to end today by celebrating the Lord's Supper. You know... um, Celebrating the Lord's Supper is something that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. And we do it because the Lord Jesus asks us to. We take bread and we take wine or juice and we eat and we drink. And we do that to remember when Jesus gave his body and shed his blood on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven and we could be adopted into God's family. But you know, one of the secondary purposes of the Lord's Supper is that it gives us a regular time to stop and evaluate our relationships. How am I doing in my relationship with God? Am I close? Are things going well? Do I feel His love? Do I, are things operating as they should? Are things distant and cold? Is there a problem? Maybe in my relationship with my wife or my children or a friend or a coworker. Taking the Lord's Supper each week is is an opportunity for us to just stop, to pause, and to evaluate how am I doing in my relationships? Is there something that I need to do to make things right in my relationships? So with that being said, I want us to take this bread and this, you take that, Shirley. The Lord Jesus gave his very life so that we could have a good, full, abundant, intimate relationship with his dad. And he wants that for us more than he wants anything. He also wants us to have that with one another. And if there's something that God is revealing to you right now about your relationship with anybody, I encourage you, be like God. Pursue, don't wait initiate and make things right. I believe that that will honor and glorify the one who died on the cross for you and for me. Bless you today. Thank you for being with us. Amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Singing, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, oh, no other 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Singing, oh, precious is the blow that makes me white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You're singing, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thanks again for joining us. You guys have a great week. Again, if this is your first time here with us, we're Christ Community Church. We'll be back here again, Facebook Live at 1015 and YouTube Live. Uh, You guys have a great week. Thanks for joining us.